Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Alex, it seems like every one of our episodes brings multiple firsts for us and our listeners, and I guess that's part of the adventure. We have so many firsts today. This is the original Hidden History Happy Hour video episode. And for those of you who have looked at our caricatures and wondered, how realistic are those? Alex is obviously better looking than his caricature, and then there's me. And today, though, <laughs> we're classing up the joint, aren't we, Alex? My, well, my gosh, aren't we just... Yeah, we have another amazing first today. We have, if you can imagine such a thing, two first female doctors on our show. Alex has a great story where he'll introduce the first female doctor in a certain context. And we have a first female doctor with us to discuss not only her take on Alex's story, but her own history with the first person in her family to go to college and get a PhD. Everybody, our friend of the podcast, Nicole Fisher Roberts. Doctor, welcome. Hey, Nicole. Hi. Hey, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And Nicole has her own podcast, the Global Good Podcast, which I highly recommend. It's uh, uplifting in these times, which I think I think we need. And Nicole is the executive director of Feed a Billion, uh, which we hope she'll talk about. And she has also, as a bonus, written a series of essays about the first mothers of America. Nicole, Tell us about yourself. Well, I mean, I think you just did. Yeah. But uh, so my background's in neuroscience and then my doctorate's in public health. Um, I mostly work globally, but uh, obviously I know you guys, Brian, because we work together thanks to you putting together um, a nonprofit task force during the pandemic. And I love history. And in fact, you mentioned mm -hmm my podcast. And it wasn't until I was listening to some of your episodes in the mm -hmm. past couple of months that I realized how much of our show is rooted in history. Uh, you know, it's just, you take it for granted in situations. Yeah. And so I loved hearing the way you guys structure your you know, storytelling and the way you, you converse with guests. And there's lots of things I want to take away, but thank you very much. That's really good yeah. to hear. Yeah. So I'm thrilled One to be thousand. here. As Alex likes to hear me say, 1,000% enthusiastic not, about you. A, your disrespect for mathematics is just so upsetting. <laughs> I, I, like to think of, I like to think of it as planned ignorance, but in any event, <laughs> Alex, why don't you tell yeah. us our story and we'll get Nicole's thoughts on it. All right. Uh, okay. Um, I'll tell the story from my book, Lessons from Mystery, as we're on video for the first time. Um, oh, wait, wait, hold on. If people that think that I just fake my way through it, this thing is dog-eared. It's annotated. Someday we'll give away my annotated copy because I've got lots of notes in here commenting on your stories. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, so this is one of the stories actually that provoked the most reaction online. Nicole, as you know, I started telling the stories uh, on Twitter where many of them, I mean, some of them I, I've told in the book aren't on Twitter, uh, but those that are, are still there and there's still you know, hundreds of comments and, uh, and exchanges about what they mean in history. But this one particularly took off in part because there was some interesting discussion about uh, whether I got it right and whether my conclusion was right. So 
Uh, here goes. Um, as we tell it in history, um, conventionally, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson uh, was the first woman in Britain who qualified uh, to be uh, a doctor, to be a physician. And it's with trepidation that I suggested uh, on Twitter and in my book that this widely held belief is actually wrong. Um, instead, I point to someone who was born in Ireland, graduating from the University of Edinburgh's Medical School in 1812 and passed mm. the Royal College of Surgeons uh, examination in 1813. This person, Dr. James Barry, I haven't made a mistake, Dr. <laughs> James Barry was Inspector General of the British Army which is the second high, highest position in our military to which a doctor can rise. It's equivalent to a Brigadier General. Uh, after joining uh, the army, Barry was posted to, to Cape Town, uh, formed a close relationship uh, with the governor of the Cape, Lord Charles Somerset, and uh, after successfully he treating his daughter, who was very sick. Um, Barry had a 10-year stint in the Cape, uh, performing what was probably the first cesarean section in Africa in which wow. the mother and child both survived. It's really interesting. There's a clutch of people in history after that who are named uh, James Barry after um, after that doctor, and uh, because they were del delivered successfully by cesarean, including James Barry Herzog, who went on to become Prime Minister of South Africa. So it's really interesting. Living people living with the the legacy of James Barry, so really kind of eventful life in medicine. Um, Barry argued um, throughout. Uh, Time in medicine with Florence Nightingale, fought a duel with pistols against the captain of the Light Dragoons, caught yellow fever in the West Indies, uh, dealt with a cholera break, outbreak in Malta, and wherever Barry went in the empire, he was a pain for his superiors and a reassuring figure um, for those who served with him because he always pushed for improvements in uh, the treatment of um, the sol of soldiers in their diet and um, the way that they uh, were looked after medically. So, so what I think you ask, point is that Barry was born a woman, uh, not revealed until after death, uh, when Bar Barry's body was laid out. Uh, British Army, which at that time did not require medical examination for people who joined up as officers, um, sealed Barry's records, uh, and they remained sequestered for over 100 years. Of course, finally, finally came to light that um, James Barry was a woman who had been born Margaret Ann Bulkley and had successfully lived as a man from 1809 until death in 1865, thereby gaining access to medical school, graduating, uh, serving in the forces, helping thousands of people through medicine and advances in hygiene, and living a life of adventure to the full. And of course, the point is that um, Elizabeth Garrett Anderson received her medical license in 1865, fully 50 years after James Barry, Margaret Ann Bulkley qualified. And my, I consider this these examples together and um i thought well what do i make of this my point sometimes unjustifiable prejudices can stop you living your life as you would wish to live them and you can protest and you can subvert they are different um uh, responses but they are both reasonable responses and it's up to you and of course otherwise james barry margaret ann bulkley would not have got to have been a doctor so that's my story well this alex this lives up to our promise on the podcast of stories that are incredible, but also true at also the same true. time. And much the same as Nicole's story of uh, getting her doctorate. Now, bear in mind, this is, I can't do math as I just proved, but this is 150 some years later or more, maybe more. Uh, Nicole, what was your experience? Well, first of all, what's your thoughts about the story and what was your experience in becoming a doctor yourself? Well, obviously that's a remarkable story. And it is amazing 
to think about. And now we have all these terms and we talk about like code switching and all these things we do, right. To fit into a place and a time and sort of mold ourselves to what we should be, or think we need to be to fit into an environment. Mm. It's just fascinating when you look back and like, that feels dirty enough, right. To change who you are. Right. To have to do that. Yeah. To live the majority of your entire life as a wholly different human being right, is remarkable. Just remarkable. I mean, the energy, I can't even imagine the energy it takes, uh, plus to be that brilliant and cunning. And it's, it's an absolutely well, fascinating story. Yeah. I mean, and- I've, I've had the experience of having to live undercover for a time and mm-hmm. just have the wherewithal to fake everything about my professional life and my personal life, much less having to fake my gender, which would honestly probably be impossible for me. But the the day-to-day stress of that had to be crazy. Alex, do we know anything about about the 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 life that she lived outside of being a doctor probably not right uh, that we, I, I quite a little actually because there was um there, two things first of all famously held people at arm's length and didn't form many friendships which you might think um fits in with um the notion of trying to keep this um lifelong falsehood on uh, on the road but on the other hand uh, as i was implying as i tell the story very close to uh, Somerset, the governor of mm-hmm. governor general of, of um, South Africa, and at that time, that was widely speculated about in the Boer and South African society that uh, these two men were improperly close. And it, oh. it, it, ironically, it might actually have been a more conventional relationship than the scandal mongers had it, except it was <laughs> or not of on the on the other hand. So I that, think it's, this uh, is like. This is layers upon <laughs> right. layers yes. of complexity. It's, right. it's right. very, it's very difficult to wrap your head around. It, it reminds me of Shrek. You know, uh, onions are not onions. Whatever. No, it's uh, 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 ogres are not like cakes. That's what it is. Uh, parfait. But, parfait. No, parfait. Hey, nobody yeah. don't no, like parfait. Nobody doesn't like parfait. Exactly. But to so <laughs> so we think Alex that potentially they had a what would have been considered at the time conventional relationship although they weren't married which would have been an issue but it was a scandal because she disguised and suspected as an unconventional relationship wrapped up yeah wow i'm sure there's a kardashian tie-in somewhere in here but i i can't quite reach it nicole tell us your story because your story occurs so many decades later but you still encountered some of the same issues am i right Yes. Well, I think women um, often encounter some, I mean, it depends on where you work, who you work with, right? There's a lot about the context and the environment, Um, academia, medicine, you know, they've not advanced as quickly as some other fields. For me, as you were telling that story, I, I actually had a couple of things come to mind and what I find really interesting about the two examples that come to mind of just when I was left in like speechless uh, are both, they both involve other women. Ah. And I, and I'm wondering, mm. so now I'm, I'm playing this out in real time in my head. Like, I wonder if it's because so much of what happens when you hear something from a man, like it's kind of expected where you're like, man, eh, someone else, I heard this, but the two examples that came to my mind, um, first was even when I was applying for, for my doctorate and I won't certainly name schools. Um, 
And I had an interview. But they were in the United States, yeah? Yeah, both. Both were both were U.S. Uh, one, I remember going to this doctoral interview and I met the dean and we were sitting in her office and she just came right out and asked me if I planned on having a family <laughs> and get out. What, and wait, I, what, 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 Nicole, what year was this ish? What decade? Oh my goodness. Almost I certainly think, unlawful. I mean, I'm not fam particularly familiar with American regulations. No, no, it 2006. was. Right. In the UK. Yeah, oh, either way. Oh no, either way. This is, it might've been 2006. I'm having a hard time. Like, was a, was no, no, my, but it, but it's it's yeah. unlawful for sure. Oh yeah, and she, I mean, it's just the two of us in her office, and I'm sitting across from her, and she says, "Do you plan on having, you know, a family?" And at no, that no, time, no. I had no clue. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't even. I I had just started dating someone. Like I, in the right, no world course, was I yeah. family planning. But the point is, I think I said, well, you know, I don't know. I'm finishing my master's degree. When I graduate in a couple of months, I'm thinking about what comes next. And my, as I said, my background's in neuroscience and I knew I wanted to get a doctorate, but I was struggling, you know, sort of where I wanted to exactly apply that academic rigor. And anyway, in the end, she ended up saying, well, you know, I just want to warn you that if you were to, to come in and we were to you know, structure these things and, and this mentor and this person and blah, blah, blah around, you know, you, that, you know, if you ever did, even in pursuing tenure, she said, you know, you'd have to time out, stop your clock and you don't want to be that girl, do you? Oh, 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 and really? it was left there just like on the desk, like you don't want to be that girl, do you? Uh, I was just remember sitting there terrified. Like I have no freaking clue. Like I'm just trying to figure, like, I just want to get into school. I don't right, know. Right. Well, well was, so. So, I had never until that moment thought about stopping clocks in 10 years from that point on. Like course. it was completely foreign to me, but I just right. went, holy well, shit. Well, two, two, two things about that, Nicole. One, it's amazing that that was 2004. And I know you have um, another story that is perhaps equally appalling, but I'll just mention someone who was once very close to me uh, in the 90s was a lawyer in Wisconsin and was arguing a construction law case. And at the end, the judge said on the record, publicly elected official said on the record, honey, tell your client next time, don't send a woman to do a man's job. Yikes. On, <laughs> on there's a transcript of that. Yeah. Is it I, framed? I, did, she, did she print this thing <laughs> out? So is Nicole's story, so I'm like, frame it. Uh, so what, well, what, but what about your second one then, Nicole? Yeah, but, so but, but before you get to that, give us a little background <laughs> about your family and how you went to college in the first place. And oh your yeah, sure. So I, I was born in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, um, Carville country, Carville country. Yeah. Like very close, like same parish. Um, um, and then, uh, I've lived with my dad my whole life since I was two. And so my daddy's family, See if I drink too much, I have the southern accent that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so does Alex, which is bizarre. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what the, the southern England accent is, but he has it. 
but have you ever noticed though, like the drunker you get sometimes like you develop like some kind of like English accent too. Like, it's really weird that we do that. Yes. I definitely get an English accent when I drink. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not at all annoying to English people when the Americans do that either. I'm sure. Oh no. We love your impressions of us. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I'll save that for another time then. Fair. Uh, Yeah. But so uh, when I was about two, we moved to Missouri, Southern the Ozark Mountains, where my dad's family was from. And so I grew up there. And uh, yeah, I was the first person to go to college. I went to Mizzou. Um, and then I won't name names after that, just because some of these stories apply <laughs> places <laughs> I've been and worked over the years. So and, and so um, what was your what was your family's response to your college and then doctoral ambitions? varied. Um, you know, I grew up, I was lucky enough that when you grew up in the Ozark mountains, college, isn't something at least, Mm -hmm. you know, back then that people talked about a lot. It wasn't conversation. It was the same in rural, rural Ohio, where I grew up, the guidance counselors thought they were scoring a big coup. If they could get you to go to the two-year technical college into my hometown. Right. And so uh, I I consider myself very lucky in that my dad, my dad framed school in a way that was always when you go to college, from my earliest Mm. memories, he would say, well, when you go to college, this or when you go to, and he had never been right, but he, he always just sort of had this, this aspiration for me, by the time I was, you know, middle school, high school, it was like, well, of course, that's what you do uh, um and and that's not the same for for everyone around there on the flip side i can tell you when i uh did start my doctorate or when i finally chose a university uh, for my doctorate my grandmother <laughs> bless her heart she <laughs> asked me when i was going to stop doing that silly school thing <laughs> and get married mm. um but you know their definitions of success are different and well, I have her, to, I, I, marriage I, I have, and children are success. I have, I have to ask, was that bless your heart? Was that um, the traditional Southern bless your part, which really means fuck off? When she told me to stop the silly school thing. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> how I felt and feel about it. I'm, I'm very happy with how things shook out for me, but I also understand, you know, and she didn't finish high school. So yeah, of for her, for me to keep putting off things that she considered to be top priority, which is right. security, husband, marriage, you know, children. I just kept going. I'm like, Oh, I'm done with this one. So I'm going to go do that one. And then when I, you know, I was doing my terminal degree, there was some shuffling. I said, Oh, well then I'll, I'll finish doing this other terminal degree. Like it was just for me. I just kept going. Right. And so, you know, she reached a point where she was just like, how long are we going to do this? How long are you going to do? <laughs> but that's that story, Nicole, is really interesting to listen to because, of course, she loved you and you loved oh, her. Oh yeah. And um, and she was still deeply wrong about something, and that can happen in life. And think of all the people who don't have your strength or your purpose, or didn't have your dad's counsel and support in doing what you did, and so forth. And it's in a different context, but but those people go through what George Bush Jr. used to call the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yes. And they apply to to people up and down my country and yours, not necessarily that they couldn't go to university and couldn't better themselves in that way and couldn't therefore expand their earning opportunities and so forth. 
but that nobody really thinks it's for them and therefore they they're not encouraged to or empowered to right and and it's not it's not always intentional right it's just right. people no, no. reacting to their their yeah. their own upbringing i had a i had a, a girlfriend in high school and i grew up in a very kind of poor lower middle class small town and in 2016 when my mother was dying of copd this girl now obviously a 50 something woman contacted me and said can i go see your mother and I said, of course, you know, it was 90 miles from where I grew up. And I went and I met this woman and we, we sat with my mom and she told this story that I had never known. She said to my mother, she, she took her hand and she said, Gretchen, you're the reason I went to college. My parents had two children, a boy and a girl. And this is in the eighties. The like this is not right. ancient right. history. And they only focused on, first of all, they weren't sold on college anyway, and they only focused on it for my brother. And if, if it weren't for me coming to your house and you encouraging me to go to college, I never would have gone. And I never would have been a registered nurse and I never would have saved people's lives. And I had no idea about that, that I, I learned that more or less on my mother's deathbed, but the ripples that you send through history by the way you behave, you know, that's kind of a, kind of a theme of our podcast and your story fits right in with that. But tell us about the other hurdle you had to overcome. Well, I just, I want to stay there for one second, just to say like, you know, it's so re remarkable also to then reflect upon how many people in the last few years I've, I've mentored and yeah. to be a doctor of public health during a pandemic has been very mm. yeah. revealing in many ways, good and bad. And let me yes. say your, your participation in our nonprofit, no COVID was pivotal to the success of it. And thanks again for that. Compared to the John Barry's of the world. I doubt that, but thank you. <laughs> Not James uh, Barry, John Barry, John Barry, one of your previous <laughs> guests, but um, I, I also just, but my, my point in bringing that up just quickly is to say how many people are looking at getting say a master's or doctorate in, in yeah. public health or health policy or something. And I've actually said, are you sure? Are you sure this is a path you wanna go down? Because there are so many other ways to have impact and have influence in your community. Mm -hmm. And it may not be another graduate degree or a graduate degree at all, right? right. Academia was my path. It may not be other mm. people's and so, um, I would like to think this pendulum sort of keeps swinging, but we are in a place where you can be wildly successful for all the right good reasons uh, yeah. and influential. And it could be college. It may not be. Right, it yeah. could be something completely different. And I hope we're in a place where younger people feel like they have options and it's not just, there's only one path to success. I yeah. hope that's true. And we've in my country, we're trying hard to improve not just the existence and availability, but the status of apprenticeships mm. and yes. people serving apprentices and should be proud of them and improving our technical colleges because people should have opportunity. The opportunities apart from university and college should yeah. be just as good in their way as, as the universities and colleges are. So, um, I mean, look at all the we're jobs on that too. lost in the last couple of years in particular, and yet every coming, especially from where I do, every person who's a plumber or has these like trade skills, they're just fine. Oh yes. yeah. Oh right? well, at least, oh, yes. at least just at fine. Least, 
they're right. They're all actually doing exceptionally well. They have skills that a lot of us do not have that are irreplaceable oh, to the God. infrastructure and day-to-day life of all of us. And so I love your point. Like the fact that we would in any way, whether it's media or whatever, like assign less pride or dignity to something is just is silly. Tell us about the mascara story, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, it actually plays right into what Alex was saying just a minute ago. Uh, so the second story that came to mind, and you've heard this story, Brian, obviously. Um, I was working on my doctorate. I had built this micro simulation model uh, and the woman who was in charge of uh, my, we called them concentrations, but it was decision sciences. I was combining public health and neuroscience thinking about how people pretty, behave. Pretty timely as it turns out. Yeah, it worked out well for me. Um, and she called me into her office and I remember thinking uh, like, I've, I've fucked this up royally. Substantively like in some way, yeah. Right, like there's something in my model. There's something in my dissertation. There's something that is just like sweating, right? <laughs> right. And I, I go, she shuts the door. We sit down and I'm like, I don't know. I've looked at this thing so many times. I've reread, I've reread. I don't know what I could have done this wrong. And to Alex's point, I know in, I, in real time, I was angry, but I also realized she was trying to protect me. Mm. She was taking her experiences and trying to be kind in her own way. And this is still the early two thousands. Yeah. 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 I was working okay. on my doctor and she mm -hmm. said uh, to me, essentially, I am afraid you won't be taken seriously in your career. And I think you have a lot of potential, but I can't help but notice that you wear mascara. <laughs> By the way, Alex has the same problem in his career. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I was, yeah. I was thinking about what was in my model. Right. And, and she is, you know, essentially came to the point of like, I don't want you to, you know, you're going to be working with a lot of particularly older men. I don't want you trying to look like you're trying too hard to be like a cute girl or something to that yep. effect. Right. And she said um, that in her opinion and experience that wearing makeup was a hindrance to being taken like seriously. Flag, yeah. And, and in my case, it, uh, she couldn't help but notice that I wore mascara, which I am totally wearing right now. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was it. Like that was it. The end of meeting and I left <laughs> and I'm texting friends like because right. a couple of my normal? friends yeah. knew how like scared I was. Yeah, about you, you this, were right? worried about substantial things. Yeah. And I just I, was like, you will never believe what this meeting was actually about. And we've made jokes about it over the years. I still have a couple of friends who, who make jokes. But you know, I hmm. I Alex, I do think you made a good point of like she had applied for tenure and not gotten it. Uh -huh. And she had had a long academic career, very smart woman. And I, I still have really, really mixed feelings yeah. about that conversation because I do believe it was actually coming from a place of love. Right. Did you, did you change anything, Nicole, or did you keep on keeping on? I am embarrassed to say I did 
stop pretty much wearing makeup for a while. Good yeah. grief. It really because even though effect. it made me angry and I was like. You just wanted to tick the box. This was a person of influence over your immediate career, right? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, committee, yeah. She was, yeah, very influential. And sense. not just to make her happy, it actually shook me. I, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I would go to things and especially once I moved to DC shortly after, I would often be the only female in the room. I've been handed the coffee tray so many times, <laughs> right? So, and, but now- and, but the, so it stuck with me. Like it sat with right. me. And even now you can hear it and see how like worked yeah, yeah. up I get it's talking about gut. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, so, so, so it now, so now Nicole, it's 2022. You've started this amazing podcast. You've worked to help uh, mitigate COVID problems with us. You've uh, fed a bunch of people. You have your PhD. How does her comments stick with you even now? Or maybe they don't. Maybe you're maybe you're over. No, they do. I mean, given how worked up I just got, clearly <laughs> something sticks. I think one, I do try to not so much put my personal experiences on younger people that I yeah. I talk to. Because you and when I do, too. yeah, and when I do, I try to at least own it. Of like, look, this is my experience. I don't know, especially with the way technology is advancing, right? I'm like experiences are so different now. Um, I also think I have to sometimes still talk myself into being myself, Yeah, which feels a little shameful, right? As an adult, but like I once, I, I'm lucky enough that people sometimes pay me, often pay me to moderate and MC events, and things mm -hmm. like that. And I did this huge healthcare event in Vegas and I wore leather pants on stage, which sounds kind of silly, but I had to give myself like a pep talk. Yeah. I was like, I'm sure. in Vegas. I'm like, this thing is supposed to be fun. It's in all neon colors. The purpose of this is to not be in a suit, right? Yeah. not do these things. And I just said, yeah. I'm going to do it. So I wore a blade, you know, I had to balance it out. Right. So I did like a button down a blazer, but I wore black leather pants and, and it <laughs> sounds small and kind of silly, but I'm like the fact that I had to stand there and give myself a pep talk. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, that it's yeah. okay. I have permission to wear something I want to mm -hmm. wear. Um, well, I, for that, one, that stays, I, I, like that just doesn't go away. I, for one, will be wearing leather pants at our June sixth and seventh events in New York, and really nobody wants to see that. So we're going to have a we're going to have a barrier in front of the table. So that goes my attendance. So, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Nicole, I want to ask you something about your last story because um, you said as a just a throwaway, you said um, I still have a couple of friends who make jokes. Yeah. Is it is it as bad as that now in the U.S. that people can't possibly make a joke anymore for fear of um, the the joke police. Yeah, that's a problem. What do you think, Nicole? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do think it's a, it's a real problem. I also, you know, this is a trusted circle of friends of girlfriends and we've shared a lot of experiences. Like, I mean, they were the people who, when I left that meeting, sent like a text, right? Yeah, so right. we have our own language and conversation and some of them knew this woman and so like we, we have our own thoughts, opinions. And uh, so for us, it's a safe space. 
there are obviously, I think, um, some real issues. And I, you guys mentioned it on, I don't remember what, one of your episodes, but I remember you talking about, I think maybe it was the Greek history one. Right? But with Mike, Mike, yeah. Uh, Mike, yeah, with a Y. Mike with a Y. The bronze lie. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but talking about like cancel culture and things of that nature. Um, and it was, it was, I remember listening to, I'm pretty sure it was that one because it was interesting just to hear about like how people and accountability and how myths and, legends and things sort of come forward i think my favorite part of that episode though and it stuck with me and i laughed really hard was when uh, alex you asked the question specifically like what did i get what right did you get wrong? wrong in the story yeah and he very politely talked for like five minutes about <laughs> the power yeah. of story yeah. power of stories and, yeah. <laughs> and how even if it's not right they hold value and you'd mention yeah, the yeah. bible was- or and then, he, and then very Warming quickly he goes but you're not <laughs> well, right yeah, it's all it's all incorrect you're completely Alice. wrong yeah, 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 yeah. but it's still power well this is like, this yeah. the sweetest letdown yeah ever. It wasn't it just it, i don't know if you see he just he just gave me the bad feedback sandwich like oh you look really nice today this piece of work was terrible i'm looking forward to seeing you later for a drink yeah <laughs> it was great but this yeah. is this this is this is the thing right i mean just because something isn't factually accurate does not mean it is not true. And these stories affect people. We, people live their lives by the Bible, by the Quran, by, by these other sacred texts. And, you know, I've, I've beaten this horse to death already in prior episodes, but in some ways it doesn't matter whether it's true. What matters is what you take away from it and how you live your life based on it. I'm going to, agree and disagree do it especially the disagree part yeah so that so i agree right and and the values and the value systems that we hold each other to it like culturally that matters right whether it's the bible the quran whatever like those stories serve a very strong bonding purpose great um you mentioned uh, way back at the intro, like I had actually written a few pieces, yes, a five-part series on mm-hmm. on women in history. And so when I hear you say that, and I think it's because you primed me by mentioning that I have had, I, I write global public health and whatnot for Forbes yeah. and other sites, but um, that was just this weird quirk one-off series I did. And the reason I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on this is because I wrote that series because of how angry I was Mm -hmm. at history being misrepresented. Yeah. And it started with someone, I have no idea. I mean, I live in DC. I'm sure it was a guy. So, you know, weirdly enough, like Ben Franklin just comes up in conversation and someone (laughs) was talking about the post office and something, something. I don't remember. What I do remember is they, they had framed the, the period in history. And I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure he was like in France. Yep. Right. Like he getting STDs at that time. Like that was not <laughs> what. He was your ambassador to France. And it was a very important, very exceptionally important uh, uh, posting, which of course led to your very first alliance. Yes. So not to downplay that part. (laughs) And the STDs. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. There's all that that is very important history. But what I had gotten hung up on was I'm like, what about Deborah Franklin? 
Yeah. Who was actually here doing right. the work? Yeah. And so I wrote this piece on sort of like the forgotten women and and I did a, a whole series and I and I don't even remember all of them, but I know like I did Sybil, um, Lundington, uh, Ogden and some others. And the purpose was really like the fact that in that article, I even had to say Sybil is yeah, the no female Paul Revere yep. irritated me so yeah. much yeah, yeah. that I had to give her male counterpart in history for people to even understand sort of yeah. the context of, of what she was doing and when and how and why, you know, letting people know who was coming on a horse mattered. And, um, and so, yeah, the stories, well, the myths, the legends, they do matter, but sometimes the the history matters too, because we completely wiped out all these women who helped found this country because the men told some good stories. Well, Mm. so, so, Tell I disagree with you, Brian, for different reasons. I think that, <laughs> um, I, I, Jesus Christ, I, I'm never having another guest on. I think that cultural mores hold very little force if they're not belie- if they don't not rooted in something somebody actually believes. If you're tipping the the hat to something, saying this is obviously not actually true, but I go along with it in the way that we tell ch- stories to children, it holds no binding moral force over the people concerned. The 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 smarter and braver thing to do if you have moved, for example, from a faith based Society to a non-faith-based society is to establish a new set of norms that you coalesce around and you know that will be contested and people agree and disagree about what those norms uh, should be but I think that um, admiring moral codes or systems or stories uh, because they they may have um, some kind of worth even though people don't believe uh, in the things that root them um, it doesn't really work well look I'm the guy who is heavily lobbying to write the constitution for mars elon musk if you're listening i'm your alexander hamilton and i i I, i'm only halfway kidding about that that's going to be lord of the flies up there if somebody doesn't think about that but i i just don't agree Uh, maybe i'm outnumbered now which is okay i don't agree that you should forget all the lessons from the past to create the lessons for the future Nobody was arguing, neither Nicole nor I were arguing we should forget the lessons from history mm-hmm. at all. No, Nic- no, I don't think we should forget. Well, Nicole, but talk think, to us about the founding mothers a little more. I mean, look at like the Abigail Adams of the world, right? One thing that I think makes a lot of the stories of the women of the revolution sort of stand out is lack of education, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, because these are women who... By marrying who they did, they often grew up already, right, in in privileged families, but they still weren't allowed to read and write and go to school like their brothers. Because they were women. Yeah. Because they were women. Much like in Afghanistan now. Right. And and so they were, you know, told to aspire to marriage. All of these women could read and could write. They would, in the case of like Eliza Pinckney, when her dad, I think when he brought her to the States, she was 15 mm-hmm. maybe and at 16 she was handed all the family's properties and said make a go of it right <laughs> and if you go all the way back there i would say she's absolutely instrumental not only by being 
married to the Pinckneys, but having two sons who went on to do things like sign the declaration. She read all of her father's law books many times over. She would marry people. She would divorce people. She, she did all kinds of things at the time that just because she was the only person there. And so she said, well, we'll figure it out. Right. And she'd read books and she'd do these things. And she's the one who in South Carolina started planting indigo. Mm -hmm. And she said, if we're going to win this war, we have to be able to make money we need to make money off the crown. And the way we can do that is by selling them indigo. And so now we've got Indigo Run and all these stunningly play, you know, beautiful places in the South. Wow. And she was 15, 16 years old. And yet, you know, we talk about the people that are two, three removed from her right. who have, you know, done also remarkable things. But without her, none of those other things or people would have existed. Well, what made you pissed? off enough to write this series on women of the American Revolution. We have had strong female leadership in my country since 1952. That is true. I think the reason I started that series uh, was out of frustration, but what frustrated me was, you know, living here in DC for over a decade, much longer. um, You know, we sit in this weird place, both in our own country and then abroad of of how we're seen, how we're viewed. And here it's so common to find people who are new. I mean, I think we're the most transient city in the U.S., but I think, like I had mentioned, Deborah Franklin was the sort of catalyst. And someone was talking about Ben Franklin. And it's just people will often, I I tend to think it's the newer people Mm -hmm. to the district who will mention history in a way as though it like just started right (laughs) like when they moved to dc is somehow like when history started or when when a certain president did something that's when of course and but like i live a couple blocks from the postal museum yeah right so in this particular case Uh, like people were talking about it and i'm like you just gotta walk two blocks right open your eyes on the street it's free like it's you can learn about this this is not hard um but um yeah i would would say about your city that whatever one one thinks of it and whether people like it as a city or not i happen to like it very much but it is the most improved city i've known in my lifetime i think since i first started going in the 90s it's in clean it's improved in cleanliness it's improved cleanliness restaurants oh for quality of food you can and 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 drink you can get the quality of jobs the quality of housing the nightlife all of those all of those things i just think it's probably the most improved city that i've known yep and that's not to say we we haven't also made big mistakes gentrification is real this city has lost beautiful neighborhoods and pockets for the sake of advancement and it's Mm -hmm. it's a shame that's Um, true in london too yeah and at the same time um there are yeah improvements that have happened that i i hope continue to draw in smart thoughtful people because we are seven, eight hundred thousand people strong, and that's not counting Maryland and Virginia and all the people right. that come in, right? Right, and we we run nonprofits. We try and solve problems. The people who actually get elected, they don't live here. They live <laughs> wherever they're elected, and they come here. They're just visitors, so it they feels, don't represent us at all. It, it feels like you should have an actual vote in Congress, which uh, you know has been on the table for a long time. 
you know the you know the history of the district, right? That. So yeah. so the history of the District of Columbia is that in the early days, no one wanted a particular American state to have dominion over the the national government. So they went to Maryland and Virginia and they said, give us some land that we can put our capital on. And they gave them the shittiest land they could possibly <laughs> find. I mean, it's first of all, yes, it's a reclaimed swamp. Second of all, mosquitoes. Third of all, it's the worst place in the world to visit in April if oh, you have allergies. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful though. But, uh, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> the cherry blossoms are beautiful. Exactly. But yes. That's what I was no, And then summer is like a hundred. Summer was where I, yeah. yeah and you I'm know why it's hot. called the swamp for many right. reasons. Yeah. No, it's just it's when, when I worked there, I would have to keep like multiple shirts in my offices because I couldn't get there without having to throw a shirt away. So, but yeah. Nicole, so you, so you, your, um, your podcasting for two, as I understand it, you have I, a baby boy on the way. Congratulations. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Which for those watching, since you are doing video this time, I'm drinking a non-alcoholic wine, but I wanted to be like, <laughs> I am the, not like, right. Part of the gang. I am not, yeah, but I mean, cheers. See, I still have a need to fit in. Well, I still do. <laughs> Brian was talking about a series of firsts. This is the uh, what I episode 15. This is the first podcast we've recorded when I'm not drinking. And um, we're doing that because I am still nursing a hangover from yesterday. Nicole, first of all, this has been amazing. What do you think a hundred years from now, historians are going to say about the role of women, not just in government, but also in NGOs and in the media, how, how are we doing? Are we, are we failing still or are we making progress? I certainly think we're making progress. Um, I mean, history is long, right? We, we've made a lot of progress uh, in each lifetime. So it doesn't always feel that way. I think there are certain arenas in which we have done a lot better than others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you earlier we were talking about medicine, things that need, I think we're doing much better, right? Like yeah. you mentioned, I'm podcasting for two, right? Yeah. My OBGYN, my, like all my doctors by pure coincidence, I didn't select them, right? They're all these brilliant women that I trust clearly my wow. life, child's yeah. life with, right? So we're, we're definitely making advancements. At the same time, Alex mentioned, you know, how long they've had women in leadership positions and things. We still haven't gotten there. No. Um, no, we haven't. You know, there, there's still a lot to be done. And I hope we well, reach a place where we don't even have to ask that question anymore. But let me ask right. you this, though. And, and now we're going to get a bit edgy, you know, like we do. Um, yeah. Do you feel that? we've had the right women running, but there's no. still this box. Okay. You answered my question. <laughs> Expand please on that. Oh dear. Um, I, so, well, let me just tell you what I believe in. Yeah. You yeah. You help, help me with this one. <laughs> I, I think, I think the American people are ready for a woman president. They're just not ready for the woman that has run for president. Your thoughts. Yes. <laughs> well, can that be the answer? It, it, it can. As an outsider, I would say I, you, your country did this remarkable thing. It found 
the almost one in person or one of the very few who could lose in a presidential election to Donald Trump. 100%. And and, and the Republicans put up someone who nearly lost in, uh, to Hillary Clinton. I mean, these are both remarkable achievements and all on the same ballot. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. I, so really, yes, was the answer to yeah, so the answer both yes. everything that you you both have said. I think, but I also sit in a very non or bipartisan position so like the the five-part series of women in history that you mentioned right. mm -hmm. that was published in the federalist yeah and it was the federalist That's who, cool. reached, who yeah. reached out and yeah. said like we yeah. would love a women in history you know like great Pol public nicole nicole can i can, has, can 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 i just course. say what 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 yeah. a weird thing that is right so the federalist is considered in the united states to be the preeminent right-wing conservative lawyers association so the fact that they reach out to you kind of means something right i mean i know their founder i did again this is just this is something else when we were talking about dc dc's small mm -hmm. right and up until the last i don't even know exactly what time frame to put on it but i would say few years less yeah. than 10 easily mm -hmm. Anyone who lives outside of here who really thought like it's left versus right, they hate each other. They're like, nah, <laughs> yeah. it's theater. It's a show, right? Everybody yeah. knows yeah. everybody. We all have yeah. dinner together. We have lots of debates that probably don't yep. happen at dinner parties, other places, right. but we all get along. We all respect each other. It's only been in the last few years, whatever that window is, where those conversations have stopped. And I would mm -hmm. say, people really do not cross the aisle or they think other people are, you know, just you and, cannot and, associate and, with. So for me, it and was much for the worst, right? Much for the worst. Oh, much for the worst. Yeah. And so for me, you know, it doesn't matter who, when someone says we'd love for you to explore this and I write mm -hmm. about public health, I'm like, yeah. yes, let me dig into this. It was easily one of the things that helped launch my, my podcast in a way. And, you know, to me, History has no political party, certainly not in our huh. two-party system yeah. in the U.S. And public health is the same way. It has no party. It doesn't belong to anyone. And that's part of why I think we failed so epically in the yeah, two years of the pandemic. That's People have, at least in the U.S., and I've seen it in other countries play out where I work, but in the U.S. in particular, like we've had parties try to own public health or mm -hmm. the, and there are reasons, right? But it, it's silly, and it, it's to the detriment of all of us. Yeah. So, uh, too, about you were saying you live in a small town. It's a small world. I know the, the folks at the Federal Society really well as well. Um, funny. Um, I had a, a closing question, if it's okay. Do it, um, Because you were talking about um, your professional role um, and that public health um, uh, responsibility that you have alongside the nonprofit and so forth and there's this very interesting history of of conditions and um I, I just wanted to invite you to talk about you know tuberculosis being spread by books and, and what it meant for uh the public record and public history and libraries and yes you guys have to come on my show uh so uh, done. it's new it's Love a new it. podcast. I've only done 10 episodes, but it started out doing an interview each week with someone much like you guys do. Um, and the reason earlier I said I would never thought of it as a history podcast. I think of it as travel adventure, but like doing mm -hmm. good. It's supposed to be action oriented. But I now see how much history is in it because mm -hmm. like our 
the one I did in Rwanda, for someone to understand how remarkable it is that their country until just a few years ago had one vision clinic for the entire country to where they are now, where everyone can access vision care. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to go back to genocide and you have to go back to the nineties and understand a little bit of what happened because that played out in why the healthcare system ended up the way it did. And so all of our episodes are that way. When, you know, the one we talk about food security and feed a billion, the nonprofit I run, you know, you've got to start back with cultural norms in India and how the caste Mm -hmm. system shaped sort of these things. So um, I just want to say how much more after talking to you, I'm like appreciating the history aspect of the podcast. But so that that leads to, I did an episode um, because tuberculosis is not sexy, (laughs) but I had gotten very interested in libraries and I went down this Mm -hmm. rabbit hole and I said to myself, well, if this is based off of an episode, but I want to like dive down deep, why not just do every other episode that way? So I call them diversions. It really is just a diversion from whatever Mm -hmm. we're talking about with a guest. And in that one, I started looking into the history of book burning and public libraries And was shocked to see these periods of history that dovetailed. (laughs) So, you know, like all things with with medicine and healthcare, the unintended consequences of people trying to do good. Um, So essentially the short story is both of our countries went hand in hand, literally jumped into the fire. Uh, We're trying to figure out where tuberculosis came from. Around the same time, public libraries were taking off around 100 years ago. And up until that point, only the wealthy elite controlled sort of the movement of books and education. And what happened is people got this notion that maybe TB was being spread by library books because people were (laughs) passing them back and forth. And for us, it really started in Nebraska, in Omaha, the public library there. A woman, a librarian, died of TB. And so it just, the newspaper spread like wildfire. What era was this? When was that? Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to ask me that. Because I think it's a World War One story. I was, yeah, I was, our... I, it's right at the turn of, yeah. of the century. Yeah. And that's why I said I ballparked it. was like a hundred years ago. So I, think, <laughs> right. I think it's right there. I'll have Fair, to look it up again. Ballpark, yeah. But wouldn't you know, much like we just saw or still are seeing, uh, I want to say the Chicago Tribune and one other publication uh-huh. within a matter of weeks yep. found, isn't it remarkable, a couple of scientists and doctors who were uh, disease, book disease spreading experts or something. <laughs> they, they gave them- yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. But yep. So the one that really changed things was the Chicago Tribune, and this had happened in Nebraska. Next thing you know, they're running articles scaring mm-hmm. the shit out of people of course that books were possibly the reason so you know then i had to stop and go wait why did no one who knew better <laughs> do better yeah and it all came back to from my takeaway the wealthy elite all of a sudden realized we're giving everyone an education for free like they could just go pick up books yeah and now they're burning them down the libraries they're taking the books home and burning them and they're like we're not going to stop that if they don't want to know yeah yeah (laughs) why why if they don't want the leg up hey we're not going to give it to them 
Uh, and so it went on and on for, I mean, easily 20 years longer than it should have. How pessimistic should we be? Oh, I'm not as pessimistic as you. You're definitely not. I'm not. I am lucky that by especially hosting the Global Good podcast, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I interview people who are doing the coolest shit in the world that make the world better. Yeah. I, would, I just wanted to um, say how much, been great. How, how great this has been. It's been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for it. Um, I'm going to look forward with great interest to listening to your future podcasts. And um, you've been an absolutely super guest. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Core, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.